Well, guys, thank you for coming out to Thrive. You guys have worked through the flu, like Chris said, and you've come back after this little hiatus. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a recap for our podcast-only series, Selfie, um, that was about a message um, to this culture. We have this addiction, almost, to taking pictures of ourself. And um, that oftentimes is viewed as being stemmed from this idea of vanity and self-love. But in reality, we talked about how that came from a place of insecurity. Because when we were posting these selfies, oftentimes we struggled to figure out what filter made us look the best. We were trying to find the best lighting, and we would crop these images of ourselves out, and we would cut away all of the bad, all of the ugly, and we would present how we wanted to be seen instead of actually being genuine and truthful to who we were. And so we talked about how the core issue with this is not this idea of vanity, but rather a deeper issue a uh, spiritual issue. And that spiritual issue is simply that we don't promote enough this idea that God restores, this idea that God's grace doesn't just make our lives better or look prettier like a filter, but it literally gives us a new life when we're in Christ. Tonight we're starting a new sermon series, and it's our Christmas series, and it's entitled Royals. And tonight specifically we'll be talking about the royal wedding. Now, two billion people, two billion people worldwide watched as Kate and William walked down the aisle. Two billion people. Cameras were flashing, the magazines were covered, and and this story that everyone had to know about. There were decorations, there was glitter, tons of money poured into it, fashion designers who designed this dress specifically for this special day. But tonight I don't want to talk about that royal wedding. Instead, I'd rather talk about a wedding between a prince and his bride that's a little bit more scandalous, um, that wasn't so much talked about, and definitely not talked about positively in the tabloids and in the magazines. Tonight, I want to talk about the marriage between Christ and his bride. Now, a lot of you guys are probably thinking, Jesus didn't even have a girlfriend, Blake, so theologically, you're stupid. But biblically, Christ did have a bride. And tonight, we're going to talk about how the bride was his church. Before we dive in, would you just pray with me? Dear God, just thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for bringing these people here safely. Um, And God, right now I just want to pray for those who are sick. Pray for those who are at home, um, who are stuck inside because of sickness. Lord, I just pray your healing over them. And God, I just pray that tonight, while we're in this place, you would just open our hearts to be moved and to be changed by your words and by who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so tonight, I think if we're talking about this idea between the marriage of Jesus and the church, first we have to understand what is the church. See, Jesus used that word church twice while he was on earth. The first time he used that word, he was referring to all believers. So it was like this overarching statement. The second time he used it was in reference to a specific group of people, a congregation, gathered together for, for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to bring about God's glory. So we can just stick to the overarching thing because that's covered. We are the church. And then Paul goes on when he's writing his letter to Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he describes the church as three different things. Um, and I don't want to get caught up on that tonight. Because a lot of times I think when there's multiple imageries used for a specific thing, it's easy for us to discount or discredit the worth of one or value one over the other. But I don't want you to think like that. Um, When we think about heaven, we get multiple images. Paradise, um, this royal city, uh, the garden, 
multiple images. When we think about God, Scripture tells us that he's the Lion of Judah, that he's a holy father. You see, we, we see all these different things that in our mind we can relate to. And the reason that I think the Bible does that is because these are all things that are so glorious that nothing on this earth can compare to them. And so don't think that just because there's multiple images used that God isn't saying that each one is important. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you everything I can so you can fully understand this because I want you to get it. This is something that I want you to get. And so in the book of Ephesians, when Paul is writing this letter, I want to tell you who he was writing it to. Uh, The people of Ephesus were a group of people who were perverted, um, one of the most debauched societies ever. But what was happening was during this time, they were seeing a large number of people being converted to the faith. And so you had all of these people who were extremely uh, spiritually uh, young and immature. And the problem there was they didn't have parents to look to who were pursuing righteousness. They didn't have grandparents to look to who had lived godly marriages as a godly husband or a godly wife. Um, And I think sometimes people who come into this service thrive. They say, you know what, I'm the way I am because I never had a father to look to who showed me how to be a good husband or a good dad, or I never had a mom who was there who spoke truth into my life and told me how to pursue this thing called righteousness in Jesus. But you see, Paul is writing this letter to give people an example of how to be the church, to give people an example of how to be a husband or a wife. And so if that's you in the room tonight, and if you just kind of feel spiritually immature, and you have people in your life or a broken family, or you feel alone, this letter is to you to give you an example of how to love the church, how to be the church, how to be all of these things. So tonight as we go through this, try to pull out exactly what examples um, God is trying to show you tonight. And I want to start tonight in Ephesians chapter 5, but I want to go back a little bit first and give you some backlog. So the first image that Paul uses when he's writing to the city of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 is that the church is a body. Um, And it talks about how Jesus is the head of this body. So it says that Jesus literally attached himself to this body and chooses to use the church to fulfill his purposes. Now, we all know that we're supposed to be following the example of Jesus. And so what this is basically telling us is that the church is how we serve Jesus and his purposes. The second thing is in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's an image that Christ is building his church. It calls us all living stones. And it says that Jesus is building his church so that he might dwell inside of it saying that we are the church, you and me. And the third image is the one that we're going to rest on tonight. It's one of my favorite images because it's so awesome. It's that the church is Christ's bride. So it picks up in Ephesians 5, verse 25, if you have your Bibles. If not, it's totally cool. It's going to be on the screen. And it says this, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What's clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. 
And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. So reading through that, I love this because for the church in Ephesus, it was a beautiful illustration for people who didn't know how to be godly husbands, for wives who didn't know how to submit to their husbands or how to honor God by honoring their bride or their groom. But for us tonight, I think that there's a deeper meaning behind this. There's something more to gain by this. I think the thing that we can look at is that Christ loves the church, which we discovered is us. We're his bride. And yet so often I think we fail to realize that or we just simply forget. And so we live day to day so apathetically in this relationship. See, God is perfect and holy and righteous and good. And oftentimes we fail him. And we forget about how he's constantly pursuing us. He is nailing it in the the category of relationships. And a lot of times we fall short. So tonight I want to talk about a few things that we can do to get our relationship with God back on track. I talked doing um, some sermon prep to a few different couples who had been married for a substantial amount of time. And I asked them, what's the biggest problem that you see in marriage that you personally have struggled with or that you see in the younger um, people that you've seen who are married now who are struggling And almost all of them said the same thing. They said communication. Said communication is so important. You see, I think that that totally makes sense spiritually. Because so often, I know for me, I pray to God when I'm supposed to, when the food's on the table and when I go to bed at night, or when things get hard. But the problem there is, oftentimes I just lift up praise and prayer and never give God a chance to respond. You see, that's not communication. Speaking to God without giving the opportunity to speak to me, that's not communication. So you might say, well, how do I let God communicate with me? Well, God gives us his word to speak through, and that's the Bible. And I think, for me, that's one of the biggest things I struggle with, is staying in the word every day. But I can't expect God to answer my prayers if I'm not reading his word. Another way that God communicates with us is through other people. Um, A question you might want to ask yourself is, Am I surrounding myself with godly people who God can speak through and speak truth into my life? I know there's a lot of times that I'm not. Communication. I know that I'm not the only one who has had a miscommunication um, and it epically blow up in my face. Can anyone else attest to that? Have a really horrible miscommunication with somebody? Yeah. I have a story about a miscommunication and I'm probably going to get in trouble for it, but I'm going to share it anyways because God gives grace. This is a story about... A miscommunication between me and my mom. She's not here tonight, so I can tell the story. Um, oh, crud, she is here. <laughs> Anyways, so it was freshman year of college, and I had just finished up, and I was really excited because I had a really tough second semester. Uh, took heavy course load. But I finished with good, pretty good grades, and so I was really excited. I was really pumped up, and I decided that I would send my mom a text telling her how excited I was and how I knew she was going to be so proud of me. And so I typed this whole, this whole message out, and I'm thoroughly expecting her response to be something like, wow, Blake, that's a great thing. I'm so excited that when you get home, I'm taking you to Outback, which Outback's my favorite restaurant. Just saying, Christmas is coming up, then my birthday. Remember that? I was fully expecting words of adoration, you know, just being thrust upon me. Um, so I'm waiting for this text, for this response, and I get this response, and I look at it, and immediately, my spirit just drops. I'm reading this message, and all it says is, WTF, Blake. I'm scratching my head like, what? Did I send that to the wrong person? Marcia Kennedy is saying WTF? 
And so I texted her back and I said, like, wow, because I was just shocked by this statement. And she said, I know, Blake, that's why I said WTF. So again, I'm like getting ticked off. I'm like, what? Like, what does she want from me, woman? Like, I'm trying, I'm busting my butt, I'm doing everything I can. This is good. And so I texted her back and I said, what do you want from me? I thought that was good. And she said, yeah, Blake, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Wow, that's fantastic. You see, the thing is, if I would have took five seconds to think about where my, heart, my mom's heart was, I would have realized my mom would never have said what I thought she was saying. That's the problem with us sometimes spiritually with God. Because we aren't having genuine communication with him, sometimes we forget where his heart is and that his heart is for us, not against us. Sometimes it's so easy to look at our circumstances and the things that are surrounding us and we feel so broken and oppressed, so distant from God and we feel like he's not answering us and if he is answering us, he's just answering us with the WTF when in reality he's saying, you know what, wow, that's fantastic, my son. That pleases me, my son. Or in reality he's saying, let me restore you, my son, but we can't hear him because we're failing him. He's not failing us. If that's a problem for you tonight in your relationship with God, I encourage you to seek after God's heart. I encourage you to spend some time in the word and allow him to speak to you, to answer those prayers that you're throwing up, because he will every single time. The second thing when I was asking uh, married couples what they struggled with in their marriage and what was problems for them was this, and it was comparison. Comparison. Um, You guys have all seen it, a marriage where um, they've been married for 20 years, And then uh, this guy, who's been a husband and a father, looks at his buddy from college, who's a little bit younger than him, who's living the life. He's not married, he doesn't have kids, he's partying every weekend, he's with a different girl in every single picture he posts, and it looks so appealing. And so in a moment, this, this married man begins to compromise. The fact of the matter is, spiritual death begins with a single compromise. So he compromises a little bit, and what happens is he turns his back on what is permanent, on what is good, and what is God-honoring for a fleeting moment of lust. See, comparison is ugly for anybody, whether you're in a relationship or you're a single person. Comparison is what got Satan kicked off the praise team. I think sometimes we forget that story that Satan was in charge of worship in heaven at a point in time, but he looked at God and said, I deserve that. That's what got him sent to hell. You see, what happens is when that man leaves his wife and his family and all the things that God has said is good for that fleeting moment of lust, well, eventually that moment ends. And so he's left with nothing. And so he looks back and he sees this thing that he used to have and he doesn't feel worthy to have it again. And so he goes from one fleeting thing to the next, from one woman to the next, from one bottle to the next, never feeling fulfilled, never feeling justified until one day he looks back and realizes that thing that he's searching for to fulfill him, he already had. Guys, I don't know about you, but that's really hard for me because so many times spiritually in my life, I've got a great relationship with God. He has restored me and redeemed me and filled me and strengthened me and healed me from so much. And in a moment, I turn my back on him for a fleeting moment of lust, for a fleeting moment of something that feels good for just a second. And then I feel broken and empty when that thing leaves me and I get angry and bitter at God when in reality I'm the one who turned my back on him. When in reality, God's standing there saying, listen, I've got grace for that. And so if that's you tonight, 
if comparison has caused you to wander away from that permanent thing in your life, from that good thing in your life, would you just realize that God has grace for that? He has forgiveness for that. And he's saying, welcome home. Come home. Come home. And no, it doesn't make sense. And no, you don't deserve it. And that's the beautiful thing about grace is that it makes life not fair. God's waiting to call you home. There's a story, um, since we're talking about the royal wedding, and it's one of the most classic royal weddings ever told. It's not about Kate and Will, but it's about a Disney princess. And I know this story very well because I have an older sister um, who made me not only watch this movie, but dress up like this princess at times. Still holding that against you. But it's the story of Cinderella. Let me refresh your memory if you don't know this story. Cinderella was a tale of a girl who had rags, was living with these evil stepsisters who were just ugly and constantly throwing demeaning words at her. She was oppressed by an evil stepmother who never allowed her to live up to her potential or the things that she might achieve in life. She was constantly holding her down. Until one night where she was able to go out on the town, she met her Prince Charming. And they danced the night away until right before midnight where she was about to turn back into her raggedy self. And so she ran away, leaving nothing but her shoe behind. And so this prince searched for her, going door to door, trying on the shoe to every lady in the land until finally the shoe fit. And it was Cinderella, his bride. And we know how the story ends, like every Disney classic, happily ever after. Now a lot of times we can see that story and think, well, it's a bunch of mush and that's a bunch of bull. That doesn't actually happen in real life. But the beautiful thing about that story is it so well tells the story of how Christ loves his church. See, the reality is church is not always pretty. Sometimes it's actually really messy. Sometimes it's dressed in rags. Sometimes you guys might have stepbrothers and stepsisters who their only intention in your life is to speak mean words to you. They're just ugly and mean-spirited. Somewhere there's an evil stepmother who is oppressing this church, trying to hold it down because they don't want to see what we can do for the glory of God. But you see, there's also Prince Charming, a God who was perfect and good and holy, who loved us enough to come down to earth and to dance the night away with us and to find us every single time we ran away in shame. Every single time we ran away because we didn't want him to see those dirty, dark parts of us. Because someone like that didn't deserve the rags. And you know what? He still found us. And every single time somebody decides to join the family of Christ, to say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. It's like he puts the slipper on their foot and says, I love you, my bride. Welcome home. I don't know about you, but that kills the romance story of Will and Kate. (laughs) That's a story worth telling. And so tonight, this is my challenge for you. Don't be Cinderella with amnesia. See, if if you're a Christian in the room tonight, that is your love story with God. And so many times we forget about that. We live day in and day out so apathetic. And I think that if we started remembering that story of how God has radically came into our life undeserved and filled it with grace and filled it with love undeserved and unmerited, I think we'll start living each day with joy. I think it will literally transform our lives. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Scripture also talks about how we're supposed to love the things Christ loves. And while we're understanding better now, maybe, that we are the church, we're also called to love the church. And so what does that look like? There was a book that came out rather recently, and it was called The Five Love Languages. 
And if you've never read the five love languages, I encourage you to do that because it will help you in every single relationship in your life, whether it's a friendship, a dating relationship, a business-type relationship, anything. It's so important to understand how you love and how you receive love. Um, the first love language is this, words of affirmation. So this person, who's, this is their love language, um, they always are lifting up an encouraging word, complimenting you, um, saying things. But they aren't fake words. They're genuine words, heartfelt words, thoughtful words. And this applies to how we love the church because think about it. What kind of things do you say about church when you're with your friends? And I'm actually going to personalize that a little bit. What kind of things do you say about your church? Because if you're here, this is your church family. What kind of things are you saying about your church? Are you talking about it in a way that people go, wow, they are so in love with their church. That's something I want to be a part of. Or are you more concerned and complaining about how loud the music was? Are you more concerned about saying things that are complaining more than lifting up church? See, sometimes I know that I've done this before. Things that we say are kind of vindictive about church. And when you think about it, really what we're insulting is Christ's bride. Now, I'm not married, so I don't know what this feels like, but I'm pretty sure that if somebody insulted the woman that I was married to, my bride, I would not be happy. I wouldn't be pleased. The second love language is quality time. Quality time. So this person is someone who marks out on their calendar a specific amount of time, whether that's date night or whether that's being there and being available for a person in those moments of need. I think this is applicable to how we love our church is are we spending time with the church? Are we invested in a small group? Are we those people who everybody knows they can call if they need something or if they just need to talk? Are we loving the church in that way? The third time is gifts. This is my mom's love language. She loves to give gifts. It does something inside of her that doesn't for me. It's just a different style of love language. And I don't want to say this one to try to promote your giving for this church or your tithing. Um, We tithe, and we don't talk about it a lot at at Thrive, but tithing is a biblical concept. It's giving 10% of what God has already blessed you with. He's already given it to you, so you're really just giving it back to Him so that the church can bless other people, can minister to other people. But you see, this idea of gift giving is more about what you receive when you give. You see, my mom doesn't give because uh, she feels obligated. She doesn't give because she wants to be acknowledged. She gives because there's something in her heart, because she has this burning desire to let that other person know that she loves them. You see, when you give, if you've never given to the church before, and you love the church in that way, you walk away with this passion inside of you because you know that you've loved Jesus in that way. And I want that for all of you. Are you loving the church by your gifts? The fourth thing is probably the love language I think this church does the best, and it's acts of service. Um, This isn't about serving the outside community, but it's literally how we serve this church. And the reason I think we do it so well is because when I look around the room, I see people who are on the welcome team. I see mops moms. Um, I see deacons. I see people who have given so much of their time to serving this church and building it up. And so tonight I want to challenge you that if you're not one of those people, to come see me. I would love to talk to you and say, listen, this is where you can get plugged in. This is where you can serve. If that's a place where you want to love on this church. And the last love language is physical touch. Now, this one's a little weird, um, maybe, but for person to person, physical touch is literally what it means. The contact between human to human. But I think that word can actually be uh, interchanged when we're talking about how we can love the church or see if we're loving the church the way God wants us to by the word presence. Are we present? When we come to this place, are we just here 
Or are we allowing the Holy Spirit to truly touch our hearts? To truly come into us and change us and fill us and fuel us? You know, I know a lot of people who look forward to Sunday. It's their favorite day of the week. But sometimes I feel like we just walk in here and we're here, but we aren't present. We aren't giving God the opportunity to actually speak truth into our hearts. Are you present? Are you loving the church that way? As the band comes back up, I want to close with this. My favorite part of this whole royal wedding story where the prince picked his bride and the bride being us, his church, is this. Christ knew when he picked his bride that he was literally going to someday have to die for her. I heard a story once and it was about a man who really didn't like commitment. And he was talking to a group of friends and he made the statement, you know, marriage just isn't for me. And one of his wise friends looked at him and said, you're exactly right. Until you realize that marriage isn't about you, it will never be for you. See, Jesus understood this concept. He realized that it wasn't about him, but it was about his bride. And so he literally set aside everything, every blessing that he was owed, everything, his inheritance of the kingdom. He set aside everything for his bride. And I think sometimes we forget to do that. We forget to reciprocate that. It says in the book of John that we must decrease and he must increase. Scripture tells us to to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Christ was willing to die for his bride. And my question for you tonight is, are you willing to live for your groom, church? Are you willing to not be 50% in or 60% in, but to be 100% in, to give completely of yourselves so that this marriage might succeed? Are you willing to never forget this love story and be so inspired by it that every day you wake up and choose joy because of it? Will you allow God to speak to you by drawing near to his face and who he is? Maybe if you're in this room tonight, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you've never even heard this story about how this man is perfect and holy and righteous wants to make you his bride a part of his church if that's you tonight would you realize that that love story is yours to claim no matter how broken no matter how far away from God you might be and even if you've had that relationship and wandered away he's saying welcome home welcome home would you pray with me dear God I just thank you for today thank you for right now in this moment for changing us and speaking to us about how to love you better how to love your church like you loved your church and God to remember the things that you've done for us that while it doesn't make sense and while it can be confusing when we look at it through the world standards it's so good and so holy and so perfect so beautiful that you would love somebody in rags, that you would love a broken person who sins and fails you every single day, enough to choose us to be your bride. You demonstrated your love for us when you died for us while we were still sinners. 
while we were still messy, while we were still jacked up. God, you loved us. Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace that a child can bathe in, but an elephant would drown it. God, your love is just so big. We can't over-exaggerate how good you are. Man, is that humbling. So Lord, tonight in this place, I just ask that you would move us to fully surrender to this, to be all in in this marriage. And Lord, I just ask that you would renew relationships tonight this would be the best session of marriage counseling ever. (laughs) Lord, if there's broken relationships between you and a person sitting outside in the pews, or or right here in this place, God, I just ask that you would be a restorer and mend that tonight. Lord, while this isn't a message on marriage, there are principles that speak to marriage, and so God, I just also pray for all the husbands and wives tonight they might love the way you've called them to love. Lord, I just thank you for Thrive and the opportunity because of who you are. Somebody is broken as simple as me can be a part of you and what you're doing building your kingdom. We ask all these things in your son's name. You guys stand and sing this next song. And while you're singing, you can respond by coming up to this altar, maybe surrendering for the first time, maybe just getting right with God. Don't be ashamed to do that. Don't be ashamed. Maybe it's coming down and placing your offering in the, in the cups, giving back to God what he's already given. Or maybe it's just singing these words with a passion and a spirit in your heart, remembering what God has truly done in you.